So, pretty excited. This is the first week we're going to talk about Shemona Esrei a little bit. I'm going to mostly talk about Rosh Hashanah. But I'm going to start by talking about Shemona Esrei a little bit. I'm, this isn't the normal order. I was going to really do introduction to Shemona Esrei before the halachot. Before the halachos, you're going to confuse my accent sitting here. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Last night I spoke and the whole thing was in English, so that was a different experience. Okay. Um, but I want to start with a couple of pieces of information about the halachos of Shmona Esrei because they'll help us understand about the Shmona Esrei for Rosh Hashanah. So that, I think, is helpful. Um, the ideas we're going to talk about for Rosh Hashanah are things that we started talking about last year, but I went into them with some more depth, and I also made a handout, so it's official. So, <laughs> And plus, we talked about it on Yantif, so there were no notes and no anything. So this is something, could, I, I think it could even be helpful as a, a stimulant to thinking and kavana during the Shmon Esrei itself, I hope. So the piece that I wanted to start with about the halachos are two, are two parts. The first is, the overall structure of Shemona Esrei, not the 18 brachos part, but just how it's, what the map of Shemona Esrei is. And the second piece is the halachos of speaking, of saying the Shemona Esrei, of actually using our speech, to, excuse me, to say it. So the first part is a gemara and brachos. A person should always start by praising Hashem and only after that, he should eat palel. Whatever tefillah is, we've talked about different aspects of tefillah. It's bonding like, like p'til, like a wick, meaning intertwining and, and twisting together into one whole identity. It's lehit palel, to judge oneself. That's also part of tefillah. Whatever that tefillah process is, is in the middle of a sandwich. First, you give shevach to Hashem. Gemara goes on afterward. Afterward, you give hoda'ah. You give gratitude to Hashem, which is also praising Him, but praising Him specifically for what He has done. So the way that Shemona Esrei is actually built is there are first three brachos that are shevach, that are praising God. Okay? We're somewhat familiar with these. We should be more than familiar because they're every single day. Shabbos, Yontif weekdays, always the same brachos. That's Magin Av- uh, Avraham and Mechayi HaMesim and Hakel HaKadosh. These are praise of God. Every single tefillah, Seishmon Esrei is funny because it means 18, and on Shabbos, let's say, it doesn't have 18 brachos. Every single tefillah starts with those three brachos, and every tefillah also ends with the same three brachos, which are the brachos of gratitude. The brachos of gratitude, which are, which are, sorry, ending with Hamavarech Hasamo Yisrael Vashalom, and before that, Hatov Shimcha Lechon Noel Lehodos, and Modim and Hamachazir. So this is the, that we're, we're able to see that Hashem is returning to Zion. So this is the end of Shemona Esrei in the beginning. What happens in the middle is the tefillah part. So the tefillah has this as part of it, and that tefillah part in the middle is our avoda, and therefore it changes depending on the day. So I'm going to share with you, I have a few very amazing things from this Maharal sitter, but this one, 
is about this structure, this sandwich structure. So the Gemara teaches us that, sorry, turn that off. A person should always first begin by relating praise of God and only afterward he should pray. Because the ikr of tefillah is the relationship wherein we recognize that there is a provider to the world, and that's God. And there is also the person who is dependent upon God who provides. That we have a need and Hashem provides our need. That is the relationship that we come in. And that's why it's, we've spoken about this in the past, like how is it that Shmona Esri, which is the climax of tefillah and represents, it's, it corresponds to going into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies in the Beis HaMikdash, and in the middle of it we have Bakashos, requests, where we're asking for something. That's because the Ikar of the relationship in the middle of Shmona Esrei is recognizing that Hashem provides all, and we need that. We, we depend upon Him. And therefore we begin and end with praise of God. The first part is usually called praise, the end of gratitude, but they're both forms of praise of God. Because we are recognizing that Hashem is the beginning and Hashem is the end. Hashem is completely not needing. Hashem is the, provi- the ultimate provider. He is the beginning of the world through the end of the world and more. And what goes in the middle is the dependent part, which is that we have need and we depend upon him. So the part that God is providing everything, that's on both sides. And what's in the middle, which is kind of what we provide, is the need. What we bring into the relationship is the need. That's the middle section. That middle section swaps out depending on the avoda of the day. So the normal avoda, the normal way that we're relating to God during normal weekdays is there's stuff I need and I got to figure out how to get it. That's why I work, let's say. And I cook and I do all the, right, all the malachos that we don't do on Shabbos are all constructive. Why are they constructive? Because there's something that I perceive as missing, and now I am making an effort, a hishtablos, to provide it. And in Shemona Esrei as well, I realize there's something missing, but what I realize is it's not really my hishtablos that's providing, it's God who's providing. And my job outside of Shemona Esrei is to keep doing that work and making the effort, but it's Hashem who's providing. There's other days, there's Shabbos, which is not a day for thinking about what we're missing and trying to provide. It's a day for enjoying what we do have and realizing and receiving from Hashem and recognizing that He is providing. So then the brachos in the middle switch because the relationship, the aspect of the relationship that's the avoda for that day is different from on a weekday. On Rosh Hashanah, I I think it's just a package or something he he walked with. Oh, is it somebody's car on the wrong side? It's his... Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
on Rosh Hashanah in Musaf, which is the tefillah that is specific to Rosh Hashanah, right? The Musaf is always the tefillah that's added for the specific qualities of the day, for the power of the day. On On Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, the part that we add is called Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofros. It itself has three parts. So that's what we'll talk about in a little while. Okay, but I wanted to introduce it first by understanding what is the, what's the basic map. You're going to have the same first brachos, the three brachos at the beginning, and the same three brachos at the end. But instead of the bakashos and the requests in the middle, instead there's going to be a set, three other sets of bracha, and those are called malchuyos, zichronos, and shofros, and that is because that is the avoda of the day. Since that's the avoda of the day, something to do with Malchio, Zechronos, and Shofros, that's why those appear in Shemona Esrei instead of asking for things. So that's, that's going to be what we're going to look at. The next piece that I wanted to bring up before we get to the part about, about um, Rosh Hashanah is the halacha of speaking. Okay. Um, the Gemara Yerushalmi teaches us This is a verse, you know this verse, yeah? Okay, this is a verse from Sefer Shmuel, the beginning of Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel, describing Samuel's mother, Chana was speaking to her heart, only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. And so Eli, who was the Kohen Gadol, thought that she was drunk. He saw her standing there, he saw her lips moving, but she wasn't making any sound. Amar Rabbi Yossi Bar Rabbi Yossi Bar Hanina taught, Min it is from this verse, Atalamid Arbadvarim, that we learn four things. And these are the four primary halachos regarding Shemona Esrei. So it's worth knowing. The Chana Himedaberes Aliba. Chana was speaking to her heart, Mikan Shahatfila Tzricha Kavana. From here we learn that Tfila, meaning Shemona Esrei, requires thought, it requires attention. She's talking to her heart. You have to be thinking about what you're saying. Your heart has to hear what you're saying. Your lips are moving, and inside of you, nobody's hearing what's going on. Doesn't work for Shmona Esrei. So a different day, I hope, we'll talk about how much kavana do you have to have so that it's called Shmona Esrei. Because it's surprisingly difficult to make sure you're concentrating all the way through from the beginning to the end without your mind ever wandering. Do you have to stop and redo it? So the short answer is no, but there are certain places at the beginning, if you don't have any kavana at all, the whole Shemona Esrei, you might have to say it over. It could be. If you absolutely manage to get from the beginning to the end, which is possible, (laughs) a lot more likely than it is to say the whole thing with kavana, sadly, is that you could say the whole thing without kavana. It could be that you didn't say it at all. Because one thing we learned from Chana is that to be called tefillah, to be called prayer, you have to have thought about it, at least a little. 
Only her lips were moving. From here we learn that your lips have to move. You act. Something has to be said. So that means that even though you have to be speaking to your heart, it's not enough for it to only be inside your heart. Your lips also have to move. The kolalo yishama, oh, this says yishama, but it's yishamea. Her, her voice was not heard. Mikan shelo yagbiya kolo bitzvilaso. From here we learn you should not raise your voice when you're davening Shemon Esrei. The voice should not be heard. Vayachshavea eili l'shikar. Wow, there's another typo. One second. There was a Shmonasrei in the time of Hana? Yeah. The same Shmonasrei that we taught? Uh, more or less the same one. It, it seems that in the time of Hana, so everyone taught in Shmonasrei, but because it was never written down, it was part of Torah Shabbat Peh, and so it wasn't written down. So not everyone said it exactly the same way. But the structure was already in place, meaning you first say three Shavach, and at the end you say the Hodah, and in the middle you make your Bakashos, and there was a kind of standard format for it, but not always the words were exactly lined up the same, and that was corrected in the time, around the time of Ezra, uh, no, before it probably, around the time of Ezra maybe, that they, that they reformalized, and they said, okay, wait, everyone, we gotta get it, and they had a testimony of what the correct text is supposed to be, because it had drifted around the people a bit. So in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they not only wrote the Tanakh down, they also wrote the Tanakh. The Tanakh was down. always written down. Tanakh is written. So what were the Sufrim? Uh, so uh, that's a very different topic. That's a very interesting oh. topic. But they weren't writing down Tanakh. Tanakh was Tanakh was written. I mean, I suppose that you could say there was a little bit added because in the time of Ezra is roughly the same time as Esther. So the very last book of Tanakh was coming mm -hmm. into being written. But Tanakh is Torah Shebikhtav. So that's always written. What wasn't written is Torah Shebaal Peh. The sofri, so what was with the Sofrim is that they, for, they began the process of formalizing the text of the Tefillah, and they also, with the letters of the Aleph base, this is where the Sofrim, yeah, sure, sorry. I know, I figure. It's a lot of money to fix it. Okay, sorry, where were we? Oh, the Sofrim. So that's with the Sofrim. It's well. That one's very not efficient because right. the window's open to run it. So and they they're good for a small space, but this space it's not enough. Okay, and it doesn't help the upstairs. It's been hard to sleep the last few nights because it's much hotter upstairs. Okay. Um, that's an interesting topic though, and there are some interesting. There are some books that talk about it. It's the switch from Ksav Ivris to Ksav Ashuris, and very interesting. So this is not. What we are reading is not uh, no, no, it's a, the, the words are, but these letter forms, these letter forms are essentially called Ksavashurit. Really? Yeah, so Ksavivrit is like when you see those Samaritan, you know, like with the... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know enough about it, but it's an interesting topic. I mean, I, it's yeah, it's crazy and interesting, and yeah, and it's also, a, I think it could be that it was in the time of the Ezra that they... Um, started using the Otiot Sofiot again. They appear in the, in the Navi, but they didn't appear later. They, like, dropped out of use and mm -hmm. came back, maybe. Okay. Ailey thought that she was drunk, and we learned from this that you're not allowed to daven drunk. <laughs> so, hopefully not a big problem for us, but it's important to know it comes up. I mean, it comes up, first of all, it's an issue. Let's say you're at the Pesach Seder, and somebody didn't eat much, but they drank four cups of wine. 
So depending, if you have a long Seder like we have, it doesn't matter. Because you get from one cup to the next, it's worn off. But if somebody has a, not such a long Seder, by the time they've had four cups of wine, they could be pretty far gone, right? And on Purim, if you're drinking at the table and then you want to daven Myriv, that's even bigger, you know. Not, not only do you want a bench, but you want to daven Myriv. Okay. So this is something we learn from Chana about the way that we, <laughs> about the way that we speak. Yeah. Why would he, a, a woman as important and as holy as Hannah, you know, um, why would he assume that she's drunk? First why of all, he, he had, considering that he thought that she was drunk, he actually walked up and was, like, perfectly nice to her. I mean, he didn't, you know, he just he said, just, like, maybe you need to go lie down. Like, you know, he, didn't, he was nice. He discovered that she was dominating. Yeah, he was nice. He wasn't, he wasn't so he unpleasant about it. Not only that, but he gave her a bracha, and he, you know, was like, he, he was great. He was a Navi. He was good. Once was so he good. found out she wasn't drunk? Yeah. He, and by the way, you're saying she was so important, but who was she? She was just some lady who showed up. I mean, later on, after she brought her child to him, oh. and, and he was growing up with Ailey, oh, okay. and then so he comes running in at night and says, Ailey, you called me, I'm here. And finally Ailey realizes this child's having prophecy. You know, like, so then he, I'm sure, you know, but he didn't. Right, so this who, is Who's Hannah? He doesn't know who she is. She's dominating for a child. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know who she is. Okay. Um, I'm going to mix up all my notes so badly I'm never going to find them again. Okay. So that was, that was the, the first piece about Hannah and the speaking. Hamashmiya kolo bitfilaso. One who raises their voice, or not raises, who makes his voice heard when he's davening, right? Because what did we just say? We just said your lips should be moving, but, sorry, your lips should be moving, but your voice should not be heard. So what happens if a person's voice is heard when they're davening? He says that's a sign of having a small emuna, miktane emuna. That's a small emuna. It doesn't mean you have no emuna, at least, could be worse. But it's small emuna, small faith in God. Why? Because it looks as if he doesn't think God will hear him unless he speaks up. I mean, who does he need to hear him? Hashem. Who's supposed to hear your Shemona Esri? You and Hashem. How loud do you have to talk for you and God to hear? The one you have to talk loudest for is yourself, maybe. Not for him. Is an audible <laughs> I'm a Rav Huna. Rav Huna says, "Lo shanu ela sheyachol lechavin libo belachash, avalim eno yachol lechavin es lino belachash muta rafilu vagbasko." So what we've learned is that you should really daven with a whisper. But what if you can't concentrate in such a soft whisper? What if you yourself can't hear? And you get distracted. But if you say it loud enough for yourself to hear, you can concentrate. He says, then it's all It's permitted. You could. Doesn't mean it's ideal, but you could do it if that's what it takes to concentrate. Um, it doesn't say it over here. However, if other people can hear you, that is a problem. The person next to you should not be able to hear you davening. Um, the way Rav Hirsch puts it, I have this in a different set of notes, is, uh, is really in terms of how personal it is that it's so personal nobody should be hearing it. This is between God and your heart, and it shouldn't go farther than that. 
Okay. Ha, a bracha, right? We have all these different brachos. A bracha is formed of dibur hapeh, speech from the mouth, and machsheves halev, and thought in your heart. The heart, the part that you're thinking about, the heart, that's hidden. That's ne'elam. And the voice, that's the part that's heard. That's the body and the soul of your prayer. Just like a person is made of a body and a soul, our brachos are also made with a body and a soul. And the body of the prayer is the sound of the prayer, and the soul of the prayer is the thought behind it. The Ari says scary things <laughs> about what happens if your voice is heard. Um, your voice shouldn't really be heard when you're davening beyond what is required to let yourself be able to concentrate. Okay. Now, I want to share with you the Maharal. I told you I have like all these different amazing things from the Maharal because he summarizes the halachos of Shmona Esrei in terms of what they mean, not just what the halacha is. Now, Rav Berkowitz said it in such an interesting way. When he introduces the halachos of Shmona Esrei, he said, all the halachos of Shmona Esrei, they're not random rules. They all stem from the understanding that Shmona Esrei is a dialogue with God and that you need to be aware that you are talking to God in Shmona Esrei. Okay, the Rambam says, a person, that's, if nothing else, you have to have a recognition during Shmona Esrei that you're standing and talking to God. And all of the halachos regarding Shmona Esrei come out from that idea and also support it. They help you remember that you are talking to Hashem. And that is the purpose of them, is that they come out from the fact that you're talking to Hashem. So here's how Maharal brings it. Lo yispalo belibo levad. A person should not pray only in his heart. In other words, you're thinking, but you're not speaking. That's not the correct way. Now, there could be such a thing as a person who simply can't speak at all. Then they can. And he talks about also there's other situations where a person could, could daven only in their heart, because that's the, the neshama of the tefillah. But the proper way to daven is not by keeping it all inside your heart. Rather, your lips should also move. And, he says, your ears should hear the whisper of your prayer, but no one else should hear the sound of your prayer. So then he goes on to ask, why is it that you have to bring it out of your mouth? Why isn't it enough if the main thing is what you're thinking and what your kavana is, then why does it matter that you spoke it out, even if it's very soft and no one else could hear it? He says, because the point of tefillah is to complete the person for what is lacking to him. You remember we, we spoke about this in terms of food, that we're lacking and we leave room for Hashem to fill the space. That's the prototypical case of per, a person who is needy and requires, because we need to eat on a regular basis. So we're constantly reminded that we're not perfect, that we're not self-sufficient, that we're not fully independent. There's, there's something chaser. There's something missing. And that we're leaving room and asking Hashem to fill the space, to fill what's missing. That is the avoda in Shmona Esrei, is that a person has lack and Hashem is filling it. 
And Hashem hears our prayer and he hears our request when a person recognizes that he has a need and is dependent on Hashem to fulfill the need. And he says, this is, this is about man. This is not man as in male, man as in human, humanity. This is about the relationship of people to God. And as we saw in Bereshis, right, nothing grew. Hashem didn't make it rain because people weren't created yet to daven for it. It requires, this is the job of a person. The job of humanity in the world is to recognize that there is need and to daven for it. And in this way to bridge from Hashem to the world, to build a bridge. And then the bracha flows down that bridge from Hashem. We build the bridge from our need and the bracha flows back through that bridge. But what makes man uniquely human is the ability to speak. It is the ability to speak that is the quality of prayer. The ability to speak is the ability to pray. That's what it's for. That's why it says uh, there was no person yet and then Hashem created the person. Therefore, if a person doesn't speak his prayers, he has not fully become mikabel. He's not fully ready to receive because the role of humanity is to recognize that we have needs or that other people have needs, that there are needs and to speak them. We create something with our speech. We create the bridge for the bracha with our speech, just as God created the world with his speech. So we need to speak it out because that's our job as people. That's what we're here for, is to speak out, to build bridges through God, to God through realizing it. A mikabel, if, if you wanted to give a definition to what is a mikabel, one who receives, one who accepts, we could say it's one who asks to receive what he's needing. If you ever taught a child, sometimes the best thing is not to tell them what they need to know, it's to wait until they ask. Because until you ask, you, don't, you haven't really formulated what your need is. You don't recognize what you need until you start talking about it. And you phrase the question. Once you put the question correctly, then you know what you need. Sometimes once you get the question right, you already know the answer. Oh, okay, hang on. Now I get it. I need to do this. Oh, I, thought, I was thinking of that direction, but that's not really what's wrong with it. Here's what's missing. That's our job, to be a real mechabel, to be one who can who can accept and receive productively, you have to first speak out what the need is. That is the preparation for receiving. That's the definition of one who can receive. Someone who's fully prepared to receive is someone who speaks it out. And that is the nature of man that we are chaser, that we, that we lack and that we're dependent, which is an uncomfortable thought. But if you think of it as people are imperfect, we're not perfect. That's okay. That's what we're for. We were created to be imperfect. We were created to say, Hashem, I'm not perfect. Please help. I can't do it myself. That's, that's encouraging. So there's one way we can think about it where it's like, oh, we're dependent, you know? How, 
And all of a sudden, you can turn it around another way and realize, no, that's very freeing. If I realize that it's okay I'm not perfect, that's my job. My job is to be imperfect and to recognize that I'm not perfect and ask for help. That's not a failure. That's success. That turns everything around that we know. Okay. What you're really saying, Sarah, is that the speech is the consciousness of knowing that we need and we need to ask and we can receive. The speech brings it to the front of our consciousness. consciousness. Yeah, when you say something, then you bring it into the front of your awareness. And that's why when the Torah tells us to remember something, the way we fulfill that is by speaking. So Zachorat Yom HaShabbat L'Kadsho, and we say Kiddush. That's the fulfillment of Zachorat Yom HaShabbat L'Kadsho, because when you speak, it brings it to the front of your awareness. So that humanity is the consciousness of knowing all those things and acting. Is being aware. Our yes. job is to be aware of that, and speech also brings something into the physical. Because a, spe a word, a s when you speak something, that is the very smallest amount of physical impact that a person could mm -hmm. basically make. It takes it from the realm of the mind and the heart and puts it into the world. It's not in, it, you didn't hammer something, you didn't, but you nonetheless made a change and you brought it out into the physical world. And that it bridges those, those spaces, yeah. Yes, it's recognizing the need and that we're asking Hashem to fulfill it, that He is the provider. That's why He began by saying that the Ikar of Tefillah is that Hashem is the provider and we have needs, and that He provides the needs. It's both of those things together because it's a, it's a bridge that we're building between here and there. So there's a here and there's a there. And those two sides have to be in place in order to build something constructive. Okay, now... Since emuna is founded on the, the trust in Hashem who is hidden, we've talked about this before, the idea of emuna is something which you know and you can rely on even when it is not visible, right? That's what makes it emuna versus yediyah. Yediyah is when it is visible. Emuna is when you can't see it. You maybe know it from before, but you have to remember it in order to let your life be changed, let your actions be affected by the knowledge, even when it's not visible. So since emuna is emuna in that which is, in God who is hidden, and he shows how the aleph of emuna also brings out this, and aleph is the same, the, the word aleph is aleph lamed fei, which is the letters of pele, wondrous, but Pele always refers to a hidden wonder. So umafli lasos is referring to the wonder within the human body. We don't even see how amazing the miracles are that go on inside of us. This is what is hidden. And therefore, when we daven, and since our davening is to God, it should be quiet. It should be as quiet as possible while still being speech. It sounds like, from what the Maharal says, as long as your lips are moving, like it said with Hana, there could be no sound coming out. As long as the lips are moving in the words and shaping the words, that's called speech. And that is sort of the ideal speech because if you raise your voice, you're making it out in the open. 
But out in the open, revealed is not how we're speaking to Hashem. We're speaking to Hashem who is hidden and that the highest levels of our, we're entering the Kodesh HaKadoshim. We've been talking to God all through davening, but the Holy of Holies is where no one goes in except one person once a year. It's the most hidden. So when we get into Shemona Esrei, that's the most hidden. It's the most private, it's the most intimate, but it's also the most hidden. And it shouldn't be out there. That's not appropriate to the spirit of what we're doing. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> a small practical question. Yeah. Um, I'm not a rabbi, so I may not know the And um, the first time, I, for instance, doubled slowly, and they stopped the second time. What do I do? Um, I'll find out. I'll ask for you, and I'll find okay. out. I'll tell you. Okay. Because the repetition of the Shemona Esrei is also Shemona Esrei. Meaning, if you hear and answer Amen, it's harder, because then you have to have attention the whole time. <laughs> when you say it yourself... You're supposed to have attention the whole time, but if you lose it here and there, you still said Shemona Esrei. With the Amida, since you're not saying it, you're Shomea Keone, you have to really be Shomea, and you have to really think about what the words mean. So there's probably some bridge, some part that you'll say yourself, and some part that you can then join in together with everyone else listening to, to the Chazara. But um, I'll make a note, and I will ask. I have the same problem. Yeah. Okay, I'll find out. Okay. Okay, so this is um, the handout. Like I said, it's really based on what we did last year, but it is fleshed out a bit more as well. Okay. So. All right. So we mentioned that, hi, Mommy, that the, the Shemona Esrei of the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah is divided into three parts. Over here, they're in the middle column, which says structure of Rosh Hashanah Musaf Tefillah, Malchuyos, Zichronos, and Shofaros. Okay, these are the three parts. And these three parts, the Gemara teaches us, are based on this idea. This is a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. Imru lefanai. God says to the Jewish people, Imru lefanai malchuyos. Speak before me malchuyos. Um, kingships. Kedeshetam lichuni alechem. In order that you will make me king over you. Imru lefanai zichronos. Speak before me reminiscences, memory. In order that there will rise before me memory of you for the good. That what I remember about you will be good. And with what shall you do this? With a shofar. This is the, the Avoda of Rosh Hashanah. We have to say Malchuyos, we have to say Zichronos, and we do it with a shofar. So how do we understand what this is about? 
when we think about the shofar, and this, again, like this is a, an astonishing and amazing thought, except we have heard it before. When we think about Rosh Hashanah and we think about the shofar, what is Rosh Hashanah about? Rosh Hashanah is the new year. It's when the world is created. It's a new year in time. We count a new time. But when we look back and we say, what day is Rosh Hashanah celebrating? It is not, Aleph Tishrei is not the day of Bereshis Bara Elohim or Vayahi Or. Rosh Hashanah is the day of Vayipach Be'apav Ruach Chaim, Nishmas Chaim, Vatehi Ha'adam Lenefesh Chaim. That God blew into the nostrils of man a living soul and he became a speaking being. It's the creation of man that is celebrated on Rosh Hashanah. And this is the beginning of when we count time. We count time from the creation of, of people as well. And the creation of man is specifically God breathing into his nostrils, blowing into the nostrils of man, which makes him alive and which makes him a speaking being. The shofar says Rav Hutner, the root of the root of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, is that the very breath that God breathed into us on Rosh Hashanah, we breathe out into the shofar. Neshama, neshima. Neshama is soul, neshima is breath. Kol haneshama tehalelka. What does that mean? Every neshama praises God, every breath praises God. Same thing. The neshama in the body, every breath that we're alive, every moment that our neshama is in our body, then I use that to praise God and to thank him and acknowledge him for what he has done. The breath that is breathed out is the breath, the breath breathed in is the breath we breathe out in the shofar. And so when we hear the voice of the shofar, we're really hearing our own voice from inside, and we're hearing a call to Hashem. Here's how Rav Hirsch puts it. And so it brings you through your innermost self to God. The call of the shofar. To some, I want to summarize it because it's a bit late and some of these ideas we've talked about. The idea of receiving life from God and breathing out our life to Hashem, it's the same idea really that we talked about many times about the idea of bracha, recognizing that we receive from Hashem and asking Him to give in order that we may give back to Him and that we may do for the world and bring bracha to the world. We could summarize it as receiving with gratitude or receiving with purpose. This is very similar to the idea that we talked about with Shmona Esri, the idea that we come recognizing I have a need and I'm asking Hashem to fulfill it. That's what prepares me to receive. Receiving, hearing the voice of the shofar and recognizing that every breath of my life is a gift that I am given and that can be breathed back out and seeks to. For every breath you breathe in, it seeks to be breathed back out. You can only hold your breath so, so long, not only because you run out of oxygen. This is natural, right? We want to breathe it back out. We want to receive in order to give. 
That's piece number one. By the way, the word shofar is related to le chaper, to improve something, to shape it, and to shape is le chaper also, right? To shape it, to form it, to change it, to improve it. The sound of the shofar is much louder than the sound of a normal breath because we breathe it out through this body, this animal shape, this animal form, and it comes out something different. That's what's supposed to be. When Hashem gives us our neshama and gives us our life, it's supposed to be transformed by coming through us and then being put out again. It is shaped. It is different. You hear something different. It's amplified in a new way. The other thing about Rosh Hashanah is that it's where we begin counting time. And we say this is a new year. It will be 5776 instead of 5775. So make sure you don't make a mistake on your checks because it can be confusing. <laughs> okay. Here's another quote from Rav Hirsch. Threefold is the nature of time. At every moment, past, present, and future meet. This is the connection of the creation of people and the counting of time. What's the connection? Meaning, once there are people, now we need to start counting time. Why? Why does counting time matter to creating people? Because our lives rely upon the fact that we have a sense of past, present, and future. Why? I mean, that's not in... God doesn't live within time. He created time. So why do we need past, present, and future to live? We need past, present, and future to live because otherwise we'd be living in a series of disconnected moments of present. It would just be present, 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 which means nothing depends on what happened before and nothing matters going forward because the nothing in the future will depend on what has happened before. It's all just the moment of now. When you live in a moment of now, there is a feeling that things don't really matter. They're not rooted anywhere. They're not going anywhere. In other words, there's no sense of purpose and there's no sense of meaning. So time gets counted once there are people because we need to know that our lives start from the past and move to the future. Time is a structure that gives our life meaning, which is a different way of thinking about time. It means that our past continues and that our future has hope because there is a future. There is something ahead. Okay, on Rosh Hashanah, that breathing in and that breathing out is like the beginning of time again. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of time and the beginning of life. Which means that we're going to be thinking about our past. We're going to be committing to the future and we're going to be making choices in the present. And I want to show you how these things work together using the chart. So if we look at the column that says time, there's hove, the present, there's hayah, the, that which wa, the was, right, the avar, and there's yihiyah, that which will be, which is the future. And in fact, in Adon Olam, we describe Hashem, hu hayahu hovevehu yihyeh besifara. He was, he is, and he will be. And the four-letter name of God, Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, is a combination of hayahovevehu yihyeh, because he was, he is, he always will be. He is eternal. 
If we look at the structure of Rosh Hashanah column, the structure of Rosh Hashanah, Mosef Tzfila, we have first Malchuyos, then Zichronos, and then Shofaros. Malchuyos, each of these is a set of ten verses, ten psukim. Three from Torah, three from Kesuvim, three from Nevi'im, and another one from Torah. The first set of ten is about Malchus, about God as king. The second set of ten is about Zichronos, that God remembers everything. And the third set is about Shofaros, the power of the Shofar, the voice, that the call of the Shofar. It's ten sets. As soon as you know this, the Musaf of Shmona Esrei stops seeming like this endless number of pages that you don't know where it's going. You know exactly where you are. It even says, In the Torah it says, and then you get the Torah ones, right? Each one it says exactly in the Shmona Esrei, here's what you're about to see, and then we say those verses. Why do those correspond to Hove, Haya, and Yehiye? So that I put in, see where it says transformation of existence into life? That's Rav Hirsch's phrase. Actually, it's not, but I didn't want to put in writing. He said transformation of existence into Jewish life. Because you know that Jewish, Jewish life, the, how Rav Hirsch consistently teaches, is that the Jewish nation, we took upon ourselves in receiving the Torah and in the actions of our forefathers, to fulfill the mission of humanity throughout human history until such time as all of humanity will return to that mission. So it's not that the Jewish life is, Jewish life is different from non-Jewish life, but hopefully that's temporary. Meaning we hope that someday, not that everyone becomes Jewish, but that everyone picks up the role of what it means to be human and serve God in the world and recognizing God in the world. And that our role it has been and our love and our relationship with God is based on the fact that we said all along we want to do that. We want to be there fulfilling our true role with you. So that's transformation of existence into Jewish life. You hear? Taking existence, let's say mere existence, just existing, and turning it into a real life. Malchuyos. Hashem is the king. How does that play out in our thoughts during that part of Shemona Esrei? I'm going to live in service of Hashem. Now, he's my king. Therefore, my decisions are based upon the fact that he is telling me what I should do. He commands me. So in any particular moment, any moment that I think of this, what am I doing now? I'm davening. Why? Because Hashem is my king. It's Rosh Hashanah. He said to daven. I'm davening. I'm going to choose between eating this and eating that. Why am I choosing this? Because that's what God said. That's what's kosher. That's what you should eat, not the other one. So my choices, which are at any moment in the present, whichever moment the choice is made, is that present moment, is an expression of Hashem as king. It also fills the present with meaning. That's the idea we talked about, how the present moment only has meaning because it's where the past and the future touch. So recognizing that Hashem is king, this is this moment attains meaning. And then I added the, the, the quote, the question in italics was me adding, kind of summarizing that up as asking myself the question, why am I alive? Why am I here now? What is my purpose? And that is in relationship to Hashem as my king. And why am I here now? What, what's my purpose now? 
That recalls Rav Hirsch's statement, right? God has put him in his situation and occupation that he may serve Hashem there and then. Whatever moment we're in, we were placed there to be able to have a relationship with God in that moment, in the present. Moving on to zichronos, memories. We recall our past under his examining judicial eye. God remembers all. He is the witness and the judge of all deeds. He remembers everything that happened, and he judges it. I remember everything he has done for me, and I feel maybe unworthy, or at least I wish to be more worthy of what he has done for me. And I look back and I can say, I know Hashem is looking back on me and my deeds, and I look back and I say, what have I done wrong? And that is a scary moment to look back and say I've done wrong and to realize God is judging everything I have done. There is a comfort to the knowledge that he cares about what I do, that it matters to him. But it's also scary because I know I've messed up a lot. And shofaros, the blasts of the shofar. This is entrusting our future to Hashem. You'll see that the psukim, the verses about the shofar, reference to the future, right? We have this idea that when Mashiach comes, there will be a blast, a sound of the shofar that will fill the world. We entrust our future to Hashem. He is ready to elevate us anew. And that makes me, on my side, I'm ready to commit and to elevate myself anew, and to say, how can I do better in the future? There is a future, and it's worth working towards. This is Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofros, both what we are saying about Hashem and the impact it has on my thinking and behavior when I say those things, when I remember those ideas about God. That's may, say before me Malchios in order that I will be, that you will make me king over you. And say before me Zichronos in order that I will remember good about you. This is the process of our saying it. It is true about God. We're declaring it. And we're also allowing those words to affect us. Now, if we look at this um, second group under the call of the shofar, Okay, the grouping of the shofar is the same. So it's always the tekiah and then the truah and then another tekiah. A tekiah is a long note, right? A truah is a broken note. Now, we have more than one kind of truah that we blow nowadays. Based on a discussion already in the time of the Gemara and, and earlier, which is, what is the sound of a trua? Is it a sound of wailing or a sound of sobbing? Is it crying? Is it sobbing? Is it crying out? What kind of crying is the sound of a trua? And therefore, we have what we call shvarim, but shvarim is a type of trua, which is toot, toot, toot. It's one breath broken into three smaller notes, medium-sized notes, or what we call trua, which is one breath of nine notes. And we also sometimes put them together. We say, do it together. They say, shvarim trua, and you hear Okay, those are all really the category of trua, the broken note, followed by a tekiah, which is another long note. 
those, the sound of the shofar, the, the first kavana you have to have when you hear the shofar is, I am listening to the shofar, just hearing it, because it will do the job. Now, if you're up to more than that, great. But if not, just if you find your want, come back to I'm listening to the sound of the shofar. That's enough. You can move to I'm listening to the sound of the shofar, the sound of the cry of our own breath coming in and going out. That's what we talked about. But look at how it's supposed to play out. What the shofar, really, if you think back to your own shofar experiences, you'll probably realize it does do this naturally. The first shofar, the long blast, calls us to focus. It calls us to attention. And being a unified note, it creates a sense of mental focus. That is in the present. Stop what you're doing. Mom get into this moment. That's the present tense. It's time to get focused on connecting to God. The Allah Elohim B'Turah, the sound of the... Of the shofar, connecting you up to God. Then you get to the trua, the broken notes. And it sounds like trembling and sobbing. And it corresponds to judging ourselves, to feeling that life is breaking into pieces, that we've broken into pieces. We're supposed to be unified, but when I look back on my life, was I unified? Was I focused? Did I keep everything together? Was everything on track, on target, on goal? I see that it wasn't, and I feel broken up about that. And recognizing that God is seeing that too. That's not hidden from him. He sees and remembers all. And that also makes me feel broken inside. To know that for this moment, I'm remembering that when he looks at me, he looks at me and sees all my faults too. And all my mistakes too. And then there's another note. We don't stop at feeling broken. There's another unified note that says it, it fills you with strength and courage because it lifts you from the disintegration of the things past. That's Rav Hirsch's phrase, right? Everything fell apart. My past has fallen apart. So where I'm standing now, I feel it's all broken. And then comes another unified blast that says it's going to pull back together. Your future has hope. You're filled with the strength and the ability to commit to try again and get up and stand up and go forward because Hashem is interested in our success and he wants us to come forward and to give us a hand and elevate us. That's the process of the shofar and it corresponds to the malchios, zichronos, and shofros and to the present, the past, and the future. I'm not going to talk about the last columns over here, but you can work them out probably on your own or based on classes that we've had before. I do want to share one, one last idea, which is the bla that blast of the shofar that starts by bringing us very much into the present. Because the one thing that might have jumped out here is how come it's not past, present, future? which would be in order. Why is it present and then past and then future? Okay. Now, to understand this, there's an idea which we have seen many times before because the Or HaChayim often brings it. Whenever you see Atah with an Ayin, which means now, so the Torah will say, Ve'atah, Ma Hashem Mimcha, right? And now, Chazal teach us, and the Or HaChayim always will quote it in order to understand the verse. 
Ain ata ella tshuva. When the Torah says now, it's always telling you this is a point, a moment for tshuva. To return, to get back on track, and to come back to your relationship with God. That's the right now. This pattern of hove haya yihia, even though on, on Rosh Hashanah is not a day to confess our sins, but it is a day to know that we're judged and that our actions have had an effect. This pattern of hove first, the present first, and only then the past, and only then the future, this is a classic tshuva pattern. Ein ata ela tshuva. When you start with the moment right now, that's how you start with tshuva. You start with getting called into the present, into the choice I'm going to make right now. What can I choose? Somewhere here, in whatever the situation is that I'm dealing with in this moment, there's a choice. I have free will somewhere here. I want to be good now. Whatever's happened in the past, I can't get hung up on that. My first moment has to be, what do I want right now? And to step out of the flow of a busy life and say, where am I right now with God? That call to attention, that call to focus is always the first step in returning to Hashem. And from there, I can look into the past. I can see what he's done for me. I can see what I've done, unfortunately. And I can also take from this hope to go forward to the future because he is my king and he is also my father, Avinu Malkenu, and he does want me to come close to him. And that's why he bothers to give me a Rosh Hashanah at all, both to give me another year, Be'ezus Hashem, and all of us another year, and also to call us together into the base Knesses and to, to hear the call of the shofar calling to us. So the call of the shofar, the call of the shofar is here. Ashrei ha'am yodei trua. Happy is the nation who knows the blast of the trua. The trua is the one that breaks you up. But that's what allows you to bridge forward into the future too. It connects you. It takes your past. It connects you to the future. Hashem be'or panecha yehalehun. They will walk by the light of your countenance, God. That's what the shofar allows us to do. So I hope this will help a little with the davening on Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> with the davening part, the shofar part. It's an introduction to, a little bit of an introduction to Shemona Esrei, although not the usual Shemona Esrei. But we'll have a few of these coming up. Ksiva v'chasima tova. Shall be blessed for a good, sweet year, inscribed and sealed.